Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing across Wales today. We thank you after so many years with so little light in on an area that people are hearing of the love of Jesus and hearing the scripture taught. We pray for your blessing on that work. We pray for Paul and Robin in, in, on the Marva and Thanetli. And particularly we pray for Alid, Alid and Erin in Mahantleth this morning. And pray, Lord, for the right help and team that that church will prosper in the midst of darkness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to, if you have a Bible, uh, turn to 2 Chronicles 34. Uh, 2 Chronicles 34 is a long chapter. Sorry, I didn't write it, so, but I'll, I'll read it in as racy and as interesting way as I can. Uh, and, and I might just skip out a little bit in the middle. But just in order, because a text without a context is a pretext. Well done, somebody was listening. And... Uh, so in order to just put the chapter in context, I just want to read. I, I, the, the, what happened was this. I'm preaching in, in Lisfair. What am I going to preach on? And a week ago, I do search the scriptures. Have you ever heard me talk about that before? Probably. And it, it just takes you through the whole Bible every three years. And so a week ago, I'm plowing through two, two chronicles and I come to the life of Josiah. And... It, that Josiah's life, we would say, was a bit of a turn up for the book because his grandfather was the worst king that Judah ever had. And his father, Ammon, wasn't much better. And then suddenly, you have somebody who gets it right in a context which is just completely heathen. And my question this morning is, how do we get it right in post-Christian Britain? It's easy to go with the flow. It's easy to be indistinguishable from all our non-Christian neighbours. But how am I, what, what will help me, and therefore what helped Josiah stand brightly in his day? That's, that, that's where I'm going this morning. So I just thought I'd read about his granddad. This is Manasseh. Manasseh actually offered his own children as sacrifices to Molech. So, I mean, that was the low point. He actually threw out the instruments of worship in the temple and put pagan altars and instruments of worship in the temple. I mean, Manasseh was not good news. He, he was the bad, the worst of the bad. But then, there, this is, this is uh, right at the end of his life, this is 2 Chronicles 33.10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favour of the Lord his God and humbled himself, note that, greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty, and heard his plea, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. He then goes on to talk about all the things that he rebuilt. 
And then verse 16, he also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on the sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Now here's a turn up for the book. The worst king, right at the end, repented. But then his son, Ammon, verse 21, Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh, his father, had done and so on. And he didn't last long. Somebody bopped him on, knocked him off. So then suddenly, so that's the background. We then come to Josiah. Okay, now concentrate. All right, so I might ask you to read the next verse. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim and the carved and metal images. And he chopped them down, chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence. And he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the Asherim and the carved and metal images. And he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests. And so it goes on. Uh, and then in verse 8, he starts to cleanse the land take out the idols right the way up and outside remember Judah and Israel had been split the northern kingdom he went and cut down idols right in Naphtali which is up towards the Golan Heights so he, he was I mean, he was doing a proper job and uh, st st started then to repair the temple we'll pick up in verse 14 and he, he had an offering, asked people to give money in order to repair the temple. Verse 14, while they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkah the, the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. And then Hilkah answered and said to Shaphan the secretary, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king. And further reported to the king, all that was committed to your servants, they are doing. And they've emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have given it to the hand of the overseers and the workmen. And then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkai the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it, read from it before the king. And then the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkai Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me. For those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had sent went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shaphan, the son of Tokath, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and spoke to her to that effect. And she said to them, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man, not tell the king, I mean, the great democracy in the presence of God, 
Tell the man, he sa she says, who sent you to me, thus saith the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants and all the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the words of their hands. Therefore my wrath has been poured out on this place and will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you've heard. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I'll gather you from your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. And then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and Levites and all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words, the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And they made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territories that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God all his days. They did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. And Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. We, we live in very secular days, don't we? That uh, in amoral days, the Christian ethic has gone in legislation. That uh, we are post-Christian Britain. Sometimes it feels almost anti-Christian Britain. This week we've had further relaxations of Sunday trading. Now, whether you believe in Sunday trading or not, nobody will dispute that it's been a central plank of a Christian-ordered society to give everybody a day's rest and a family time or whatever you want to call it. And, and, and now, have you noticed how the, how the media, with voluntary euthanasia and taking people across the channel in order to end that, and, and just, the, it's drip, drip, isn't it? Drip, drip, drip. And, uh, and every time it happens, it's on the news, and we're all being conditioned to think, well, this will be all right, really, if I could bonk myself off. <laughs> and, uh, and the same with gay marriage, just, just slowly drip, drip, drip. And, and who would have thought that a generation ago, you can't mention the Lord Jesus at work. It hardly matters where you work. That it, it's, you know, you, you can't even wear a Christian symbol in many, and the whole pressure is to hide your faith, and that it, it's just not cool to be a Christian anymore. It, it just won't help you get on it. It's not going to be to your professional advantage to make that sort of thing known. And you know, sometimes you think, I wonder what's next. Have you ever asked you that question? 
we've changed this rule, we've changed that rule, we've abolished Sunday, we, 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 we're going to all be able to inject ourselves and get to heaven quick. That, you know, <laughs> what, 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 will, what will the next agenda be? It's scary. What, what's next? What will secular humanism con us into thinking is good for us in this progressive agenda? Do you notice that? In the election. Oh, we're really progressive. Didn't say what we're progressing to. I mean, there's a scary thought. So, how do I, given that it's not to my advantage to be a Christian, so how do I stand in a secular culture, in a godless culture, in a non-Christian, in fact, anti-Christian culture? That's the world we live in. And here we have Josiah. The, the, the kings of Israel were, you know, it was like a seesaw, wasn't it? You had a good one, and then you had a bad one. Or two bad ones, and then up popped a good one. And then three bad ones. I mean, if you've read Kings or Chronicles, I mean, it's relentless. And you have David, verse 2, saying he followed the, David, his father. He was the best, and he was rubbish. It, in some aspects. Um, and then you have Manasseh. He was a nightmare. That was his granddad. And Ammon, not much better. And then you get Josiah, 31 years of blessing. Now, this is my question. Where did he get it from? What happened to Josiah? This unexpected faithfulness before and a delay of judgment. Did you notice that? Manasseh's deeds, are, you're going to get your comeuppance. But God said through Helder the prophetess, but not yet. You, you, God, blessing will come to you because you're faithful. So how do we prosper in an adverse time? It's not kid ourselves that, that, that the society in which we live is favorably disposed to being Christian. It's not. So how, do we, how are we bright? How are we going to stand and make a difference in this hostile age? How do I keep fresh and fit? And particularly, if I might say, you know, as, as my age advances, I, I have a nephew. He used to play for Newcastle rugby, you know, not football. He used to play for rugby. He's a, he's a second row, sometimes flanker. But so he's a bit he's tall. He's taller than me, and. Uh, but now, and then, after, then he started playing for Morpeth. You know, you kind of drop down the leagues. He, he's, he's now playing for Morpeth seniors. He's in his 40s. And he was describing what playing for Morpeth seniors looks like. You know, if, if somebody tackles, they don't get up quick. Right? <laughs> and if they're in the line out, they don't jump. Right? They just kind of lean upwards. And... Uh, you know, that at the end of the game, the guy on the wing is, is moving at a fast walk, right? M Morpeth seniors. And, and the, because fitness and vibrancy has... Because they, they don't train, you see. Ben just turns up. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't, do, doesn't do circuit training. He doesn't go to the pitch and, and you know, practice his scrummaging. He's done that for years, he knows how to scrummage. So he, he just turns up on a Saturday and walks round with everybody else. 
there's an equivalent for that as a Christian, you see. We can, you know when you take, you buy cheese and they cut it off the block and it's all kind of nice and soft and, and then you leave it a while and it goes kind of yellow. Have you noticed that? And it might even crack if you leave it long enough and it forms a crust. Familiar? Or you're making cement. Have you ever tried to plaster something and the cement start to, started to go off? Have you ever tried to do that? I mean, it's a nightmare. I've, I've, never, made, I've never iced a cake. If I can just, but I could imagine that icing a cake when it's got lumps in it and it started to go hard would not be straightforward. So I'm just going to make reference as I prattle on to what it is if we just become hardened and crust on our lives spiritually and just go cold and rigid and fixed. So back to Josiah, how, what was it? How did he? Well, the first thing was that, you know, he's, he's, he's eight when he becomes king. And spiritually speaking, international trends were not good. National apostasy was rampant. I mean, his dad, Ammon, that he's just lost his head, he's only been king two years. So that the whole stability of the country is in turmoil. And an eight-year-old, they're kind of impressionable years, aren't they? I mean, an eight-year-old will soak up what's going on around him. And yet, by the time he's 16, according to verse 3, Josiah is seeking the Lord. He's then, we're told at 20, he's starting to clear out pagan worship starting to chop down the Asherah poles and all the other paraphernalia of heathenism. So, uh, and then we're told in verse 8, at 26, he's gathering money, starting to clear and repair the temple. Ten years. Where did that come from? And uh, in ten years, he's dealt with the Baals and the idols, he's begun to restore the temple, He's found the law, or somebody found the, this scroll, this book, it's probably a scroll, and he, he then goes to Hulda the prophetess to say, so what do we do? And, and then he makes a covenant. Did you notice that? When every, he gathers everybody in Jerusalem and stands by the pillar, whatever that means, apparently it's what kings do, and uh, that uh, he makes a covenant with all the people to say, we're going this way. So he's leading now, isn't he? He's only in his 20s. And then he initiates the Passover and there's national renewal. The key is in that word humbled. Do you remember Helder said, because you've humbled yourself and your heart is tender. How did he stand in a pagan day? Well, it's in marked contrast, I, I tried to emphasise it, that in chapter 33 and verse 23, it says of his dad, and he did not humble himself before the Lord, as Manasseh's father had humbled himself. And, and Manasseh was the, the worst of kings. He got caught, carted off with brands cufflinks to Assyria, 
and repented and humbled himself and was restored. I don't know how, year, how many years before he died that was, probably not many. But there's, this, there's just this word to us that Josiah, unlike his father, humbled himself. He, he began to seek the Lord, and this is for us, right? This is where the parallel kicks in. That in my heart, I determined to seek God for myself, and I humble myself, I bow, and submit to his authority, and get myself in line. Is that humble yourself? Is that fair exposition of, how, how will that look for you? That I actually come and recognize that God is God, and I'm going to put myself in the right place. God help me, I'm going to put myself, if, if I'm going to stand in this kind of post-Christian culture, I, I'm first and foremost going to humble myself before God. I'm going to put myself in the right attitude, position, locate, whatever, however that works for you, whatever that means, I'm going to put myself in relation to God first, first. Now you work that through for you at work, at home, whatever. But I, I'm going to put my, I'm going to orientate my life to God first. Then I find this quite helpful. I've already warned two people as I came in. Then I go and have a go at them this morning, because um, I, I think there's something. You know, where did that come from? Where did that come from? I mean. He didn't get it from his dad, did he? He was, let's just work this out for a minute. He was eight when he became king. His dad reigned for two years, so he was six when his father became king. So he was six when his granddad died. And his granddad was the one who got carted off to Assyria and learned that God was God and reorientated his life and humbled himself. How, how many years have you got to influence a six-year-old? I, I say I can't do anything with grandchildren until they can hold a cricket bat. Do you, do you know, there is that age, isn't there? And before that, they're useless. They, they just go to nanny. Do you know what I mean? What can you do with a child of that age? I don't know what to do with them. But once they can hold a cricket bat, what do you reckon? Two, three? Ish. Ish. Manasseh had three years as a granddad. This is what I'm going at. He had three years as a grandfather to shape a little life. We must not underestimate how hugely significant our role is as tide. That's what they call me. The tide is out. Sorry. <laughs> somebody said to Liz, Liz works with parenting stuff with Care for the Family. And uh, somebody said, do you do a course for grandparents? Or maybe they should. Because sometimes, do you remember... Do you remember with your kids, if you've had kids, 
If you haven't, you know, you, that's why you've still got hair. <laughs> do, do you remember that age, five and six, and they still think you're right? Do you remember that? You know, our Andrew, when he was five and six, he thought that dad knew everything. And then, you know, th th somebody deceives them, and, and they don't think that any longer. And then they get to the age when dad doesn't know anything. And what a joy it is to have Sam and the other grandchildren come, because they still haven't been deceived. They still think that Tide knows everything. And it's a window of opportunity for Manasseh to shape the future life of Josiah. Dear Lord, will you humble every grandparent here? Will you cause for every single grandparent to reorientate their lives like Manasseh did, so that whether they've got three years or ten years, their influence on their grandchildren will be enormous. I, I can't help but feel that there's a, a lesson there. And just a, just a great, isn't it great, that people can change? And repentance changes direction. I don't have to be indistinguishable in life from my non-Christian neighbours. I don't have to be. I can humble myself before God and become different, not weird, but recognizably Christian. I can start to seek him and humble myself and make the right kind of choices. So let's do it. If we're going to stand brightly in a post-Christian society, we've got to humble ourselves and orientate ourselves rightly to God. He turned against the tide. That's the first thing. The second was that he did it by the book. They found the scroll, scroll, verse 15, whether it was Deuteronomy, some people say it was, early draft of Deuteronomy, I don't know. What, what I do know is what a shock it was. The word of God was like a bright light in a dark room. It just brought clarity. Look at verses 19 and 20. This is, this is his reaction. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shapham, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shapham, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord. Why well, didn't inquire of the Lord for himself? I'm not quite sure. Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. It, it, it just brought him perspective. The word of God, it, it was revolutionary. There's something about this, if I find it rightly, is going to completely shred my life and change things. Now, I, I, I know that, that there are all kinds of reasons why that doesn't always happen, but with Josiah, just take note for a minute, what a change the word of God brought to a man who was already seeking. 
Because he just started to do the business, didn't he? He he had it read in public. It was so shattering, so impacting on his own life. God was speaking to this man through his word. That's what happens when, when, when you and I engage rightly with the scripture. It isn't just a theoretical thing. God starts to deal with us through his word. I, and I don't know, is it all the rubbish we were taught at school? Oh, the Bible, you can't believe that anymore. Who says you can't? Well, it's full of contradictions. <laughs> is it? I've read it for 40 years, every day, and I haven't found them yet. And, and I, I bump into people, and I, I have met people who, have, who, who are professors of science and theology who believe it from cover to cover. So they can believe it and you can't? But, but is there kind of baggage somewhere still? I mean, scholarship has moved on. The scripture and its authority and clarity and consistency is held today like it's not been held for a hundred years. So get up to date. Is it that? Is it, oh, do you know, people that preach the Bible, they're the most boring preachers we have. Well, yeah, okay, I'll punch your lights out as you leave, but, um, or did you, did you, you know, you, oh, I must read the Bible, so you kind of let it fall open, and you start reading in Leviticus chapter 12. That may not have been a good strategy. We, we, we might need a better approach, but for Josiah, it was just life-changing. Suddenly, everything, he saw everything in a better light. I mean, truth was truth. He even reinstated the Passover. The Passover, we're told in chapter 35, verse 18, had not been sacrificed since the days of Samuel. That's extraordinary. That's David's time. David celebrated the Passover, but all the kings since then just never quite got round to it. That's how we can be if the word of God isn't shaping what we do. We, we just need to be, you know, as, as some, I was went for a walk with Pete Hodge on the mountains this week, and uh, he was quoting Spurgeon, you know, he said, defend the Bible, I'd rather defend a lion. Just let it loose. And, and, and maybe we, we just need to let the Bible loose again. I, I remember there was a, uh, when I was at Bible college, there was a, a chap in his third year, and uh, he just hadn't got it at all. He spent three years studying the Bible, and it just hadn't got to him. That's terrifying. And uh, we, we can just have this... Well, I, I get it, you know, a bit like Bible, by computer software. I know enough to get by. I know how to turn it on and open Word. But beyond that, I, you know, I, I just save with it, stay within my comfort zone. And we can do the same with this. Do the minimum. Just dip in and out. You know, I, I, I don't know what to do when I meet these people, but, you know, because I just ask people, what, how often do they read their Bible and what do they use to help? How oh, I, 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 that uh, some organization drops a verse on, when I turn my computer on at work, a verse appears on the screen. Excuse me? Is this the word of the Lord that can change lives or is it just a habit? 
to drop in. And somebody said, oh, well, I have my quiet time and I'm driving to work. I put Premier Radio on. <laughs> Josiah d didn't do it that way. But, and neither should we. But, uh, my, my wife's a, a, an alcoholic, as you know. And, um, <laughs> but but she, she's also big on the Bible course. Now, here's a strange thing. Bible course? Bible course. Google. We've got Bible course all at you might need to say. But... Now, I find this a really strange thing. That we, we encourage people to do an Alpha course and they come to faith and then we just leave them. I meet so many Christians in church that don't know one end of the Bible from the other. They don't know the big picture. They don't know how the Bible hangs together. They don't know why, why Leviticus is a great book. We have to read Leviticus in the light of the New Testament or it won't make any sense at all might be quite good for your small group. Talk to Liz. She's a Bible course fanatic. He did it by the book. How can a young man guard his way? Keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. I just... I'm waffling now, but I just wanted... We're Bible people. Our lives are to be Bible-centered. And we are not, we're going to be flowing like dead fish in the current unless the Bible turns us round and we get truth and clarity and the revealed word of God shaping me like Josiah. Please, please yourself. But then there's this other phrase, tenderness. He, he turned against the tide, he did it by the book, and he kept his heart tender. There, there's something about Huldah, the prophetess, and what she said. What, what she said was, because you've humbled yourself and kept your heart tender, the blessing of God will stay on you for the rest of your days. Helder. Why didn't he send the people to Jeremiah? Jeremiah 1 verse 2, first, second verse of Jeremiah says that Jeremiah prophesied in the time of Josiah. What, why didn't he send her, send them to Zephaniah? Because Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 2 says that Zephaniah prophesied in the reign of Josiah the king. That when you're reading the life of Josiah, Jeremiah's never mentioned. And when you read Jeremiah, there are well, it is mentioned, I'll come to that. Well, it is mentioned in chapter 35, 25, to say that Jeremiah wrote a eulogy once the king was dead. And in Jeremiah, the, the only reference to Josiah was when Jeremiah's having a go at Josiah's son who turned away from the Lord to say, you're not doing it like your dad did. That's odd, isn't it? You'd have thought he'd gone straight to Jeremiah, 
Or if he's on holiday, he'd have gone to Zephaniah. But they went straight for the lady in the second quarter of Jerusalem. Why was that? Because she was the nearest lady who heard from God. And it's quite telling. Thank God for Holder the Prophetess. Those three men, remember what, what Josiah said, go and search for, or inquire of the Lord. Oh, inquire of the Lord. I mean, somebody said that to you. Right, go on, you two. You're, you're, you're two good men, true. Right, go and find somebody who, inquire of the Lord. Go and find the person who hears the voice of God. And where would you go? This chap apparently got off the train in, in, in Swansea in the 1930s and, and went up to the porter on the platform and says, where, where does the man of God live? Imagine that. He said, oh, you mean Reese Howells? He lives over there in Sketty. They went to the godly lady who was in tune with God, saw reality, saw what was below the surface in Josiah's heart, she said, there's trouble coming, but not yet. And as a result of how she was, Josiah went and made a covenant. Made a covenant, made an agreement. Kind of set up a contract between his heart and God's heart. Drew, drew some terms. He tried to do it for the nation, but he can't do it for other people. As soon as he's popped his clogs, the nation is turning back to the bars. I, I, I can't make a covenant for you. I can only make a covenant for me. Uh, and story tells, you, you can read it in, in the biography, in the, in the diaries of, of Christmas Evans. But he, he was pastor of the Baptist church. He was in Anglesey. And when he was in Anglesey and on the Clim Peninsula, he saw hundreds of people converted. And he came down to Pastor Tonavellin in Caerphilly in the early 19th century and, uh, and he was there for a while and he, he, again he saw people converted in their 20s people, that's when Aynan Tonguinlice was founded when he was holding meetings in the Lewis Arms in Tonguinlice that, that was all that God was doing through this man when he was in Caerphilly uh, and then he was approached by, the, the, by Tabernacle Baptist Church in the ice, uh, in, in Cardiff to say, will you? And he went up onto Caerphilly Mountain, and you can read it if you if you yeah, you can read it. But it's in Welsh. Um, but it, but he, but I think I've seen it translated. Anyway, I'll tell you about it, so you don't have to. And and he went onto Caerphilly Mountain, and he wrote a covenant with God, and he said, God, as you've been with me there, if 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 you will come with me to Tabernacle, I'll go. And there's this 30-point covenant that Christmas Evans drew up on top of Caerphilly Mountain because he, he wanted his heart to be tender. I wonder how we do that. So it's our wedding anniversary on Friday. We've been married so many years. <laughs> What do you do? Come on, boys. What do you do? Card? Send a card. 
Do you agree? Well, you know, if I send her one, she'll send me one. That's three quid, even if you buy a cheap one. Card? How, how could... Because wedding anniversaries, that's a time to be tender-hearted to your beloved, isn't it? Even after so many years. Flowers? The trouble is with giving flowers to Liz. I did once bring some flowers home for her, especially, and she accused me of of picking them up in a graveyard. <laughs> I, I hadn't done it for a long time. And they were not from a graveyard. Why they were over the wall on the grass outside the graveyard, I don't know. They were on Isha Green. I just saw them there. And I thought, Liz, she likes the flowers. Flowers. If I took a, so, uh, how, how, come on man, you've got to help me here, how, 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 what do I do? Do I take her for a meal? Yeah, but then you, you're, in the, you, you're in the traveller's rest, and when you're as old as me, when you're as old as me, and everybody's talking, you can't hear what she says, she's only sat there, huh, what do you say? No good. I can't take her out for a meal because I can't understand her normally. But if you go into a place where everybody else is talking, you know, do I stand up and say, stop talking? Now then, I, you, you can advise me afterwards. But one of the points of wedding anniversaries is to keep my heart tender. If I do it when I get home. But do you know what I mean? You're supposed to do that kind of stuff. Now then, Christian. How do I keep my heart tender where God is concerned? That's my question. You can't give him flowers. Don't send a card. He doesn't live in the traveller's rest. And Hilkiah saw something in the life of Josiah that he'd, let, he'd kept his heart, no crust, back to that in, uh, analogy, no crust. Sensitive, tender, responsive, open, warm, loving. Kept his heart tender. That there is a there is a a sad ending to this story. There's a sad ending and a good ending, I guess. As Josiah is living in a pagan world. Standards are falling. Danger of a crust forming. Uh, and then you go on into chapter 35. And, you know, he was eight when he started. He reigned for 31 years. So he's 39 when he died. And at the end of the chapter, it tells us why he died. His reign was cut short. There, there was Nico, the king of Egypt, going to wage war on Assyria and they were going up the coast what we now call um, Gaza to Megiddo to meet the king of Assyria and have a, have a battle and so Josiah thought he'd just interfere and so came out to attack the Egyptian and the Egyptian said what are you doing go away God has told me to do this, and there's a, let me, I'm finishing, your dinner won't be too burnt. 
Nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to fight with him. He did not listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God. And there's something quite telling there. I, I can live right, carefully, and then I just get familiar, and I become king, and I, I get it all organised, and I lose my ability to hear God. You see what happened to him? And his life was ended prematurely because he started interfering in a war that wasn't his. And if only he could have heard the voice of God through this man. And he didn't, and he died. And all his reforms were lost. But it does show us, for these 31 years, how to shine, how to do well, how to seek the Lord, how to humble myself, how to be tender-hearted, how to encounter God and make a covenant. Lord, we thank you for the life of Josiah this morning. We thank you that in the middle of very, very dark days that you shone light through somebody who was prepared to go against the tide, take your word seriously and keep his heart tender. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll help us, particularly the grandparents among us, to humble ourselves and to shine brightly. For Jesus' sake. Amen.